This episode is brought to you by Fetch. Fetch is a kennel alternative right here in Denver, not a traditional doggy daycare or boarding school. They offer one-on-one private pet care for all kinds of pets, both furry and non-furry. And their employees are experienced, insured, bonded, and background checked. So you can rest easy knowing your pet is in good hands. Basically, they know pets. Um, I used to watch a Burmese mountain dog named Sven, who was just like walking a polar bear. It was insane. (laughs) Fetch offers pet sitting, dog walking, pet taxi, medication administration, and more. And he hated going on walks. I could like walk him around the block and then he was like, he just like to lay in the bathtub. So if you're looking for high quality pet care you can trust, check out Fetch at northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. That's northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. Today on CityCast Denver. Remember that awful night at Red Rocks over the summer when hundreds of concertgoers were injured in a hailstorm? A new investigation reveals the texts of Red Rock staffers and their questionable response. Me and producer Paul Caroli are talking through the investigation, as well as a downtown revitalization update and RTD's latest air quality data dump. Plus, stick around to the end for an interview with our sponsor, Savio House, because this is a time of giving and many are in need of a little help. Today is Tuesday, December 5th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. I decided to stop drinking coffee. Same. I'm drinking green tea right now. I'm drinking ginger tea. Yeah. With this crazy concoction of like citrus, ginger, green tea jam I bought at Costco. Oh. I mix it in with my ginger tea. I also made that decision today because I had some off the handle moments last week where I was like, I was too high on coffee. I got to check. Yeah, I got to check myself. And my sleep is not great. So Mm -hmm. glad we're both off it at the same time. Yeah, it could be an exciting day. Wait, so you're drinking green tea? Yeah. Yeah. So you're still doing caffeine? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. Well, hi, Paul. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Brian. We have a quick update on a story that we brought you last week. Uh, we talked to our friend Joe Rubino at the Denver Post last week about uh, on Friday about a couple different uh, topics, but one of them was the fact that the city of Denver was leasing some office space inside Republic Plaza for employees to use in part because cities remodeling the web building. They also want to do some sort of economic, spurring the economic development mm-hmm. downtown by bringing people out of their home offices in downtown. Um, And then after we had that conversation with Joe, he reported that the city was looking to purchase the Denver Post building, Mm -hmm. which is right in that area where Civic Center Park is, where city and county building is. um, There's like a court. There's a whole bunch. There's sort of a group of city buildings there. So this spot makes sense to me. It's an $88.5 million deal. Uh, City council has to approve it, which will be happening as we air this. But um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. I wonder if there'll be pushback from council. I that's. I mean, listeners will know better than we do right now, but that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And I think there's some questions around how money is being spent with this new administration sort of yeah. right away. At least that's with the housing conversation. I would be interested to see how that plays into, you know, assets, building, buying assets like buildings for the city. Um, but Councilman Hines, District 10, this is in his district. He thinks it's a great idea. So he said it's putting money where our mouth is. And he sees it as what many people see these moves to be, which is it's going to revitalize downtown because this building backs up to kind of a weird part of the 16th Street Mall. It's kind of a dead zone already. Mm -hmm. So 
I don't know if you put a couple hundred people in that building, maybe it'll change it. I used to work right there. Where'd you work? Right next door in the petroleum building. The McDonald's isn't even there anymore. That was the McDonald's corner. Yeah, that McDonald's was rough. Make it more appealing for some, less appealing for others. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, let's get to our other story, which is the Red Rocks. Yes. Hailstorm situation, which happened earlier this year. But the issue wasn't just that there was a hailstorm. It was the fallout after it was how it was dealt with. So this happened a couple of months ago. Why are we talking about it right now, Paul? Um, It's back in the news because of our pal Steve Stager from Nine News, who was on the show a few weeks ago. Um, He apparently has been in a months long legal battle with Denver Arts and Venues over uh, official communication around that hailstorm. So and Arts and Venues what's happening manages Red Rock. It's a city owned venue. Right. And that's what Arts and Venues in part does. Right. Yeah. So what he did is he sued um, for access to this public communication um, and he got access to a whole bunch of text messages um, from Red Rocks employees, officials, the head of the venue, the head of Arts and Venues, like to see exactly what happened that day when more than 100 people were injured who really just wanted to see their favorite member of One Direction. I know. You want to go see Louis from 1D and you get pelted with like, Mm -hmm. some people were like hospitalized. Yeah, some, I don't know. I think that's actually one of my questions here coming out of this latest reporting was like, exactly how bad were these injuries? Because reading these texts, like... it's a very different situation. The people in the texts we're seeing from what I read about in the news, you know, and I don't know if that's because I'm not hearing enough from the people who were the victims of the hail and of the worst injuries, because the way the Red Rocks people were talking about it, like, I mean, some of these texts are pretty innocuous. Like, um, the day of the hailstorm, the Red Rocks venue director, Tad Bowman, he was, he was like playing a baseball game. He was playing catcher, I guess. And he like noticed the weather was changing and he texted his boss. I'm going to go to Red Rocks to figure out what's up. Mm-hmm. So like, that seems fine. That's what you'd hope sure. that person would do. Right. But others were a little more iffy. Like there was a police officer, Erickson, who texted some patients have welts on their shoulders and back. Guess next time they tell them to seek shelter, they will go to car. These injuries are very minor. So this is the cop's opinion. Um, like about it's what was super happening. easy to get to your car down multiple exactly. flights of stairs and or the ramps to whichever parking lot you're in, in a state of chaos where there's hundreds of people trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I know Red Rock, I've been once or maybe twice, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what would it be like? Like, can you put yeah. us back in that place of like why this matters? Totally. So it, um, it's a given kind of at Red Rocks when you go, you kind of have to be prepared for all the elements because a lot of shows get tons of rain. Sometimes they get snow. It's not hmm. uncommon. I think what was uncommon here was this was like sort of a flash storm where things got really dangerous quickly, which is hail. Sure. Hmm. You ever been in a hailstorm? You run into shelter as soon as possible. Yeah, it hurts. There's, there's not a ton of shelter at Red Rocks. If you think about it along Hmm. the sides, there's like merch booths and beer places and the bathroom. But like you're not going to be able to house hundreds of people in there. No, there's that there's that underneath area with the Red Rocks Museum that I once spent like a half hour in during a concert. But imagine all of a sudden 600 people trying to get in that door. That wouldn't work. You know, and so I can kind of see where the folks running Red Rocks were like, oh, we're kind of just going to see what happens because this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. But I also can see from the concert goers perspective that it felt like there wasn't a plan in place. And I was not in a similar situation, but I was in a, a 
I was at a show at Red Rocks. I was at Schoolboy Q a couple years ago and um, there was a reported shooting and just things got chaotic really quickly. Yeah. And they locked us in the park, essentially. We got to our cars, really? but they wouldn't let us out. And so, and I just remember how chaotic that felt and trying to get information on what was going on and why we weren't able to leave. So I can imagine if you're a concert goer and you're just trying to get shelter and you can't get information, this seemed like a pretty overwhelming experience. Did you, did you find out why you couldn't leave? That's weird. I think it's because they were chasing a car related to the supposed or the alleged shooting and they didn't oh. want everybody out on the road mm-hmm. because it eventually, I think the car ended up in, um, in Denver. Mm. So they just didn't want to uh, inject a bunch of cars onto the road while they're trying to chase down this person. Mm. So, but I just remember being like, I don't know what, no one knows what's going on. You know what I mean? The parking attendants don't know what's going on. The EMTs that are just waiting or don't know what's going on. So I imagine in a place where it's like, a you know, a torrential rainstorm, this was scary. Yeah. Um, th- there's one other text that we should read because this is maybe the worst one, the most egregious. Yeah. This is the day after the storm. So like at when all the Red Rocks staff were all probably like they had their staff meeting. They were talking about the statement they were going to put out, which I remember was quite tone deaf. It was very bad. Yeah. Red Rocks put out a very bad statement that was just like not acknowledging the folks were yeah. put in danger, that they were sorry. It was just, oh God, what was it? it was So this is the morning after the hailstorm. Red Rocks released a statement on social media acknowledging the injuries, saying they would, quote, have a conversation with Mother Nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they made a joke. Yeah, they made a joke. Dude. It's like not appropriate. No. Not appropriate. Um, so that morning when they were presumably writing that statement, uh, someone who works at Red Rocks wrote a text about the, that night's performance. So there was back-to-back shows and they were like, there's going to be thousands more people coming tonight. And then quote, are they wearing helmets? <gasps> too soon? Question mark. And then too soon got a ha-ha response from someone in the text thread. Makes you... Makes you wonder if you ever work remotely in any arena where your text might be exposed. You better even watch how you ha ha react, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's the real issue at the core of this story to me is like this was a legal battle over text messages. I thought this was kind of interesting. Like, do we have an obligation to see city employees texts or or do they have some right to privacy if they're their private phones? What what do you stand on? that? That's really tough, Paul, because I am really for privacy for folks. But I also... You're right. If it's not a city phone, I don't know. But at the same time, we're always we're always all communicating with our works through our phones. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we do it through Slack mostly for our job, but sometimes we have to text each other because we're not in our work mode. And so I imagine it's the same for the city. I would just say, if I was working for the city, I might be more conscious of what I was texting. Though we've all shot off some texts in the moment where we were like, yeah, maybe that's not appropriate. Yeah. So, but it is interesting is it fits into this context of the conversation around what is public information. And I like that. That's why I think Steve was really digging into this Mm -hmm. was like, well, maybe we do have the right to know. Yeah. Just because they're using their private phones, like doesn't mean we don't still have, we shouldn't still know what happened this horrible, violent night. Especially if they were like communicating plans or, you Mm -hmm. know, what to do. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, like this story, it exists. Like we have this accountability now. We can, yeah. the, the the head of arts and venues, you know, Ginger White, White Brunetti, Ginger White former, Brunetti, former yeah. head. Yeah, so she's no longer the head because this happened to happen around the time of the mayoral transition. So there's going to be a new person in now. Maybe they're going to see this story and think differently about like yeah. how to how to run Red Rocks or maybe put some new plans in place or I don't know. I don't know. Red Rocks is a tough one because again, it's, you're, 
you kind of are prepared for something to happen. I've been to so many shows where it rained. Mm-hmm. Not uncommon, but, you know, sometimes these random chances you just don't know. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if they do anything differently. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, our next story is... Again, a follow-up on something I think we've kind of talked about yes. throughout the year. Uh, we have some new data on RTD's free fair months, which was multiple months this year, July and August. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are, what's the latest on this story, Paul? Yeah, so this, so this program, this is the first time you're hearing about it. This is a state-led program. Our state legislature came up with this idea. What if we made RTD free during the summer when air quality is worst? Um, so they did it in 2022 for a month in, I think, just August, but it might have been July. And then in 2023, they did it for two months, July and August. Um, so uh, what we have now is their final report on how this whole thing went. Uh, and... What? Press releases top top line RTD zero fare for better air positively impacted greenhouse gas emissions air quality in July and August. So they're so saying it, yes, it thumbs worked. Up. It worked, but that's what they say. You know, that's what they say about this, and I think it's a little a little bit misleading. M- more interesting. I don't know. It's it, there's a little bit more nuance here. At okay. least what that what I see. Um, and that's just the better air question, you know, cause I think the whole narrative around this program since the beginning has been, uh, it's great to get people back on RTD and it's great to get people excited about RTD. But last year, um, and I checked this, they did not do any air quality analysis. Oh, so they were maybe just looking at like numbers, ridership numbers, yes. people getting on the bus. Did they have more riders versus was this actually taking cars off the road and positively impacting the environment. Yes. But they did this year. Exactly. This year, RTD asked the Regional Air Quality Council to do an air quality analysis. Okay. Um, And uh, the person I know over at the Regional Air Quality Council, um, yes, they are an advertiser. I'll disclose that. Oh, yeah, that's good. You know, I think that the the content of our conversation here is making clear it's not a factor. Um, But they said, quote, based on the GREET model, which is this way of like, it's a, a federal standard, a way of uh, calculating air quality emissions based on other factors. But they say based on the GREET model, which used ridership data and survey responses, among other variables as inputs, the RAC estimates that RTD's zero fare initiative led to a total reduction of over 9 million miles, 9 million vehicle miles traveled. Wow. Um, for context, the uh, Denver Regional Council of Governments estimated the daily vehicle miles traveled in the Denver Metro were 83 million in 2022. Okay. So that's so like a pretty big reduction. 9 million out of, you know, at any time, 83 million. That's a lot. It's like 10%. What did you, what did you think about this, this um, finding or this revelation? <laughs> it's not much of a revelation, honestly. It was like, this is an extrapolation. That's how I feel. Like if what you're doing to, to measure air quality changes is extrapolating based on, uh, the like the impact you know a generic car makes and like uh someone saying that they would have otherwise been driving yeah 
when they were on the bus. Like, I don't know. They say 23% of their survey respondents said they would have otherwise been driving. And so that's a pretty, like, that's a nice figure to hang your hat on. But this is not the, like, straight line, direct cause effect that I was hoping for. Yeah, this... Also, it's just like a da- and not only just like what where the data is coming from, but the interpretation of that data. You can kind of make it fit yeah. into whatever you want. I don't know. I this doesn't. I guess like it's hard to put this into a context where someone might go, "Oh, that's a great reason to ride the bus more." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know what what comes out of this now. It's just good to have, I guess, for next year. I guess so. I don't know. I know they're planning some huge transportation package. Like we've talked about Representative Faith Winter right. or uh, State Senator Faith Winter. I think she's the head of the Transportation Committee. And I think she's working on some big bill that's going to put together so maybe some more free that. months. I mean, I don't know what they're talking about. It could be free RTD year round and we figure out a different way to fund it. That would be cool. Yeah. Because I remember just seeing some of the positive effects of it was just like watching the bus pull up, everybody get on and it goes on its way. It's not like checking everybody's pass, watching everybody. You know what I mean? Like just like this, the ease of of it, which is part of- Oh, of taking the money out of the equation? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Just like, and also just like if the buses come every certain amount of time and you don't have to pay, that's what, you know, I think about using the subway. It was easy because you just knew it was always going to be there. So I don't know. It's just part of that. How do we change people's habits? And maybe part of that is making it available all year round. And here's the data we needed to do that. So we have something special to end the show today. Before we go, it's a sponsored interview with Savio House, which is a nonprofit based on the West Side that could really use your support, especially this time of year. Thanks for talking to me, Paul. Sure. See you next time. Hi, I'm Andrea Slensey, Content Director at CityCast. And joining me now is Cleo Rauschway. Welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Cleo, you are a trustee for Savio House. What is Savio? Savio is a nonprofit organization that works with families to help keep families together when they are faced with having a child removed from their home. And we serve about 1,750 families a year, mostly in the Denver area. What kind of families are we talking about? Who are the families that Savio House works with? So our typical families are in a situation where they are at risk of having a child removed from the home for a variety of reasons. Um, Maybe the child is experiencing abuse and neglect. If it's an older child, an adolescent, it might be a child that is, you know, having behavioral problems. They might be committing crimes in their community, missing school a lot, things of that nature. Sometimes we just have families that are, you know, experiencing extreme poverty or homelessness that is making it hard for them to keep their kids at home. And then we would get called in to help provide behavioral health services to the family so that we can try to prevent those kids from them being removed from the home and placed, you know, somewhere like foster care. How did you get involved in Savio? So I came to Savio really from witnessing just the strength of the bond between a child and their parent. Personally, I used to be a volunteer attorney with the Rocky Mountain Children's Law Center. And in doing that work, I served as a guardian ad litem. My job was to go in to investigate a situation for a judge, typically when there was a domestic violence situation and tell the judge in that case, if there were children, you know, I would do an investigation, interview the parents, interview the kids, and then go back to the judge and say, here's what I think is in the best interest of the child. And Andrea, without fail, I can't remember a case where the child did not tell me I want to stay at home. And typically it was mom. I just want to be with my mom. I just want to be with my mom. And sometimes that was the worst place for the child at that particular time. You know, mom would be 
you know, just in a you know real dire straits. It could be a very unstable situation and it just didn't matter. That is where kids want to be. And, you know, sometimes I would be able to report to the judge that that's where kids should stay. And sometimes I would have to give a different recommendation. But I really walked away from that experience over and over and over realizing that it almost doesn't matter what's going on at home. You know, I could tell these kids, you know, I can you know, arrange to have you put in this really stable family where you would be able to go to school and there would be enough to eat and your bedroom would be warm. And that's not what mattered to kids. You know, what mattered to kids is what they know, what they trust, and that's family. And what I took away from that was this really deep desire to be with an organization that that's what the organization works to make attainable is a safe and loving environment for kids that's within their own families. And I would think to myself, God, if we could just treat this family in a holistic way, you know, instead of removing kids and then, you know, giving the child behavioral health treatment and then putting the child back in the same situation, wouldn't it be so great if there was an organization that treated the family in a holistic way so that they would heal together as a family without having to remove the kids from the home, which is pretty traumatic for kids most of the time. And then I hooked up with Savio, whose mission is to do exactly that. So it was just a perfect fit for me. What kind of methods does Savio put in place to help keep families together? One of the ways that I think we are different from other organizations and certainly from the wonderful help that school counselors can provide is that we have about 150 therapists. And what they do is they go, we're a community-based services organization. So we go into the child's home and provide services at home. And we do that two to three times a week. So it's much more intensive therapy. We can provide it in the context of the family. I think it's really important when you think about kids being removed from the home. Oftentimes, you know, older kids will be removed from the home. They will be given amazing services, behavioral health services that might be working really well for them when they are not in their home. But when they're put back in their home, back in the same stressors that cause the behavioral problems and cause them to act out or not go to school, things can get unraveled. And so for our therapist to be able to go into the home, assess the situation, see how the family dynamic is operating, and really being able to work with the whole family together, you have a much more resilient model and a better success rate. And that's what our therapists do. How can listeners support this work for Savio House? Well, listeners, we would love to have CityCast listeners support Savio. I always support Savio by giving a gift today on Colorado Gifts Day. And they can do that by going to saviohouse.org slash citycast. And if listeners visit saviohouse.org slash citycast, there's an option to donate $175 to provide a family therapy session to a household. Fantastic. Cleo Roushway, thank you so much for joining me. Listeners can support Savio House at saviohouse.org slash citycast or on Colorado Gives Day. Thanks, Andrea. It was a pleasure being here. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Red Rocks venue director Tad Bowman about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. I'm so glad we weren't recording that whole thing. That's okay.